Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. She, she said, "You, you, you are the same. You're, and 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 what I remember most is the feeling. And I remember I looked up, and when she said that to me, like it, I was a hurt, and then a little angry, and then, and I, and I just remember, I, I, I literally looked at her, and it kind of like slapped me in the face a little bit, and then I, it was almost like, well, I'm gonna show you, like you know, I'm gonna show you that whatever, whatever." You, you think I am whatever you think I'm going to be, however you think I'm like my brother, I'm going to show you that I am nothing like him. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, to this number, 33444. You'll get it downloaded right away. Are you one of nearly 7 in 10 Americans who doesn't feel fully rested when the alarm clock rings? Do you dread your mornings? Let's change that. Psalm Sleep is a drug-free, non-habit-forming sleep drink in a small can that can help save your nights from tossing and turning. Find out for yourself at getsom.com and stop dreading your alarm. Some sleep, it gives you Z's. So our guest is in his fourth season as director of strength and conditioning with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, before that, he spent the uh, 2017 NFL season with the LA Chargers as assistant strength and conditioning coach. Previous 19 years, though, he had experience at the collegiate coaching level from Texas A&M, University of Houston, University of Oklahoma, uh, all in strength and conditioning roles. Earned his master's strength and conditioning coach status in 2013. He's a member of American Football Coaches Association, certified with both the CSCCA and the NSCA. A former defensive end at Texas A&M, Played in four bowl games, the blue-gray game, and never lost a home game. Awesome. Spent time uh, as a player with the Denver Broncos, Arizona Cardinals, Miami Dolphins, and then also played with the Barcelona Dragons NFL Europe in 98. I remember that team. Uh, his uh, Our guest and, uh, and his wife, Amy, have two daughters, Kate and Abby. Uh, I've, I've got to meet this guest on several occasions at the NFL Combine and I've really been looking forward to this interview. Our guest today is none other than big country coach, Larry Jackson. Coach, thanks so much, man, for joining us, buddy. Oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. So I got to delve right into it, right? Like the wrecking crew at Texas A&M, man. I mean, that was a famous defensive team. You never lost a home game. We never lost one. Uh, that was, I think we were, we were more, you know, afraid to, um, I guess lose then so it meant more to us not to lose than it did to win. And so we were always constantly, you know, if if our offense we just like if you could just score a touchdown and a field goal, like 
then, you know, we'll, we'll like hold it down. And then, you know, we kind of had a rule back then. If you, if you, you know, if we had lost a game, then you couldn't go out and, you know, have any fun like that night. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you definitely didn't want to, the one night you get during the week, you lose the game and you can't go anywhere. So it was kind of one of those things of, you know, I think we were all pretty selfish, but we, we were kind of selfishly competitive. And so it was one of those things where, you know, you, you just, you, you, you enjoy that feeling when you walk off and pretty much a team knows when they show up at your stadium, like you're probably going to get beat. And so you can, every time you do it, then it, you know, you know, the mystique carries a little bit further. And so then it makes the next team come in, man, they haven't lost a game here. And, you know, this whole season, man, they haven't lost a game here in two seasons. They haven't lost a game here in three seasons. So by the time you get to the last season, it's kind of like, hey, look, you and I, we both know what's going to happen. So run your three plays so so we can get to the sideline. Mm-hmm. I love that, right? Like confidence is, is I know that you know that you know that I know that we're going to win. That's exactly right. <laughs> and, and you got to say them all. You got to say it's just like that. You know, with, um, I mean, there's so much turnover every year, though. I mean, at the collegiate level, I mean, that's why that's impressive, right? I mean, that's a legacy. I mean, that's four years of never losing a home game. What, what do you think contributed to that that unity and uh, of just being able to make that happen? I think it obviously starts out with, I think, the scheme that, that we were running. Uh, so, you know, R.C. Slocum was the head coach. Um, Bob Davey was our was our defensive coordinator, and uh, and then so, but when I when I chose to come to A and M, um, they actually actually are recruiting me as a as a tight end. But I but in high school I played both ways, mm-hmm. and so um, uh, once the uh, defensive coordinator Bob Davey, who also coached coach in my position asked me to if I would be interested in moving the defense well it was the wrecking crew it was the it was this thing that you know one of the reasons I wanted to come there when I when I was being recruited was watching Aaron Wallace and you know and and William Thomas and you know you know those types of guys uh just literally wrecking it and so I was like, you know, man, I'd love to come to school here. The, the stadium was rocking. It was always packed. You know, it was, it was, the, everybody was kind of doing that AM rock thing. And it was like, you know, about an hour from my, from my house. And so I was like, you know, I think I want to, you know, definitely come to this place. And so once I got there, optimized. it was, uh, it was, it was definitely what they said it was like the way we practice is obviously it's a lot different than, you know, how the guys practice now. Like we were full pads, we scrimmaged, like we tackled to the ground. You could hit the quarterback. Like, I mean, everything was live. And so, and if you like that physical, which if you came to A&M, you had to, mm-hmm. you, had, you had a coaching uh, staff that was like the way we're going to practice is how we're going to play. And so you fall back on your training when the bullets start flying, when the things get rough during the game. And so we were just like, you know, it was it was kind of like a status quo thing for us in the game when, you know, you knew where to fit. You knew what what your expectations were from your coaches, more so what the expectation was from the players on on the field. And if you worked your way up through practice, 
hard enough and learned enough to actually end up on the field and played. If you mess something up and you got put on the bench, you there was so much talent there, you might not ever get to play again. So, or at least never get to start again. And so you you're like your like your backups kept you hungry. You know, uh, um, the the knowledge of the game kept you hungry. And then, and even if you kind of got got a you know like a bump or a bruise, you had to kind of suck it up because you could just go to the sideline just for because you rolled your ankle, and then they put your backup in, and if he's balling, there's no reason to put you back in. So you really had to like be careful with, you know, just coming out of the game because you're hot or tired or whatever. And then once you do that in practice, because you worked your way to the field, and then you do that in a couple games. When you got 11 guys out there who they all want to play, they, everybody thinks that they're good enough to go to the next level. Um, you have coaches that are that have literally guys fighting for a spot on the, you know, on the field. Um, it's something starts to get built where, hey, look, you know, we can't give this first down up. Hey, look, you have to be where you're supposed to be because I'm banking on you to be where you're supposed to be so I can fit. And if you don't fill those gaps and, you know, build that wall, then we're going to get someone else that will. Mm-hmm. And so once you look, the, the, you know, the quicker you learn that, then the, then I think the better it made us. And so our whole class of, of about two years, we were close to the same age. So we literally just played all the games together. And then the class that came in behind us. So I was fortunate because I was like right in the middle of this really good class before me and after me. And so it was like, it's good and bad. It means you got to fight to stay on the field, but then you're going to have good players the whole time you're there. And so that's kind of what we fell into. Yeah. I love that, man. You know, and that's the big part, right? Like we play like we train. Like you referenced to it, right? We're always going to get back to our level of training and not necessarily rising up. But, you know, I remember this too, coach. It was like watching kind of a meaningless game and Ryan Mallett at QB went back and got a stinger on one play. And I remember watching with my son and he came out and wanted to go back in for the next play, right? Like he was, he was running back out and they held him back and he didn't get back in that game. And I remember kind of telling my son, I said, that's, that's all it takes, man, for somebody else to get their shot or for you to lose your shot, man. Came down to that, that part. So, I mean, that, I appreciate you answering that in terms of, you know, that competitiveness that it came to practice made all the difference then on the field. You know, it's funny because I bring it up, but that's how I got on the field. So yeah, I was the backup and, and I was trying to get, you know, get on the field. And, uh, and so we were playing uh, Missouri uh, in a 92. So I had redshirted in 90, played a lot of special teams and stuff in 91. I was playing behind Quentin Corriott, second pick in the whole draft, so I wasn't playing in front of him. So it was like once he finally left, I was fighting, trying to get on the field. We had a whole bunch of good linebackers that came in, my, in, in like with my class. And, uh, and, and so, and I was not even the, out of, out of there. So there was about four of us that were fighting for a spot. And one guy had already started or had been starting already. So he was on, he was playing the wheel. And then we were fighting for the Sam spot. And there were two guys actually better than I was at that spot, like better linebackers actually. 
but they took one and moved him to wheel and me and the other guy were fighting for the the sam spot so the guy who was the leading guy fighting for the sam spot he did what he usually did and got in trouble in all season so he didn't make it so they took the wheel and moved him to sam because he was better than me too and he was the starter so you basically had these two guys and i was like the third guy that could go on on either side well during that game a few plays had happened we were like ranked pretty high they weren't ranked we were there they were beating us uh you know 10-0 they were moving the ball up and down the field they were running these same subset of plays and we couldn't stop them and then just as a change they said hey they were, they took one guy off the field and the guy who's playing the Sam and ran me on. And then on the they ran that play and the first play I ran in the backfield, boom, like, you know, three or four yard loss. And then they ran the play the other way. Boom, I ran in, ran in the backfield, yard loss. Then they ran it a third time and then I got him at the line of scrimmage and they had to punt. And I had to spot after that. That's right, man. And it, and it wasn't just that game. I started the rest of the year. They didn't put him back in. Love and it, coach. That's how fast it happens. Yeah. When preparation meets opportunity, man. That's awesome. Absolutely. You know, coach, the um it and and for people that that don't know, because I mean there's gonna be a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people that don't follow football that closely, although there's a lot of athletes that are on this one. The Will is the weak side linebacker. The Sam is the strong. And then the, the Mike is the middle linebacker. So just so uh, just to clarify for those that don't understand, but it's, uh, yeah, it's fantastic, man. I absolutely love that stuff. You, we, we've spoken, uh, you know, we met at NFL Combine when the Browns and Colts had uh, those joint practice. And, I mean, we spent hours talking. And I have to tell the listeners that Coach Jackson was a huge influence on the book Puke and Rally. It's not about the setback. It's about the comeback. And part of it had to do with the fact of being told that you're not good enough, being told that's a bad idea. Don't try it, you know, and or, you know, either by somebody else or by our circumstance. And I think it's it it becomes a gift when we can channel that in the right direction. And your story, I think, exemplified being told you're not good enough. And I was wondering if you could lead this in there, you know, seventh grade and, and your teacher and walk us through that moment then of, of what happened. So, um, so just to, just kind of a backtrack a little bit. So um, I had a, I had, so I had an older brother who, I mean, he, he was always in trouble. He always was involved in something. He was like, you know, that person they say, Oh, you know, you, you, you're, you're hanging around with the, you know, with the bad company, you know, with the wrong company. And then everyone would say that sometime and I was about him and I'm like, no, what you understand is he's the wrong company. He's the bad company. And, and so the common denominator in all the mischief was always him. He would change friends, but there was always trouble and he was always there. So he was older than me and he had already gone through the, through, you know, through that grade already and they knew him well. And so when I showed up, I mean, human nature, they look at us, they see like the second coming of Satan probably. And they're like, oh, here we go. We got another one of these. And so I get to that grade and I, and I have this teacher um, 
and Miss Barlow, I had this teacher. She, I would go into class. I was absolutely nothing like him. In fact, growing up with him used to teach me, don't do that. Don't do it that way. Like it was, I was learning all these examples of not, of not, of how not to do things from my older brother. So it was, he was actually good for me, even though he was bad. Cause I don't, I don't need to put my hand on, you know, on the stove to know that it's hot. I watched him do it already and I saw his reaction. So I used to say and to myself. You were, and you were the opposite. I mean, you would actually help other students. Complete opposite. Like if I, if I was, if I would be, I would have been like wanted to be like Superman where I could just fly in and help people. Like I don't like when people like talk mean to other people. Like I don't, I don't like it when I feel like there's kind of, I guess, injustice. And, and so those types of things kind of bother me. And so I was the complete opposite of him because I saw how he was and how people would, and I would see the people that he left behind and how they felt. So that just was in me. I'm not going to be like that. And so when I'm sitting in the class and, 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 and I feel like these, these teachers are being like so mean to me just because of him. And it's nothing I can do. It doesn't matter how good I act. It doesn't matter that I sit in class. I don't say anything. Like I do the work that they asked me to do. My, I was making good grades. Like it wasn't, I was, it wasn't like I was, you know, barely, barely passing. I mean, I always just made A's and B's. And then this teacher just, is like basically telling me that I'm going to be just like my brother. I'm not going to make it like, Basically, you, but there there was that moment in class, though, right? That specific moment when that happened. Yes, and so when 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 she when she looked up at me and said, and I and I remember I don't know if she thought I was talking or someone asked me a question. I can't remember exactly what led to it, but she said to me, she basically told me that I was going to be just like my brother. She she said, you 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 were the same. You're and 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 what I remember most is the feeling. And I remember I looked up and when she said that to me, like it, I was a hurt and then a little angry. And then, and I, and I just remember I, I, I literally looked at her and it kind of like slapped me in the face a little bit. And then I, I was almost like, well, I'm going to show you like, you know, I'm going to show you that whatever, whatever you, you think I am, whatever you think I'm going to be, however you think I'm like my brother, I'm going to show you that I am nothing like him. You're gonna you're you're gonna see one of these days. You're gonna look back at the, on this day, and 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 you're gonna you know wonder and 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 think to yourself. And if you don't remember, I'm not gonna ever remind or say, "Hey, you said this to me." I'm just gonna show you. And so and so when when she said that to me, I, I remember even some other students kind of looked because they also knew who I was. Like they knew. Mm-hmm. I was nothing like him and they knew him. And when they said that, they kind of looked at me like, almost like, what did you do? I don't know. I don't know what I did. Like just, and so I remember that. I just remember that I was at that point. I was, uh, that was the, that was the thing that took me from, I'm just, I'm doing fine and I'm going to make it and it'll, it'll probably going to be okay. And then it was that thing that I think propelled me that, that, that those sometimes you just got to hear things said to you a certain way or something has to click in your brain that it, 
I don't know if there's something I'm doing that makes her think that I'm just like him or if it's just the way you looked at me or whether it's her pre preconceived notion or, or what. But I, all I knew was that at this moment, um, I felt so embarrassed, I guess, that she had even said that and like put me in a category that I was going to show you, I'm going to show everyone. If you think I can't do it, well, wait till you see what I can do. And then from that moment on, it was like, I wasn't making like A's and B's anymore. It was just A's. And then, and then, and then when I was, and I was in seventh grade, so I just started playing sports. And so at that point, I, I you know, it was, I was at football, I played basketball, ran track. And I was the, like the best football player on the team. I was the, I was the, I was, I would say I was the best basketball player. We had another guy that could shoot lights out, but everything he missed, I put back in. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, and then on the track team, I was the best on the track team. And then it was like, but I needed to like show her. And every time I would come back and they would do like the little, little, you know, announcements on the deal, like this person is first district, um, you know, in football, this person has made first this district or all team in this sport. And I was always the first or made the all team and all the stuff. And when they would announce it over the speaker and I just got her like, yeah, uh-huh. Just keep on talking. You know, it was almost like you have anything else to say, but I didn't. I didn't say anything. But it was. But it kind of gave me a spark, gave me something, and it, it was just enough to like help me turn my my maybe my work like this, like this, and then you just start climbing slowly. You know, Coach. You know, with that older half brother too. I mean, you talked about the level of influence that he had. I mean, you had trouble going in and out of the country because the border agents would confuse you with him. And until that was cleared up, you talked about like being able to see the sheets of uh, of issues and crimes that happened with him. Yeah. So, so the first dose of this I got was also I was a freshman in in college, and and I'm at a And M. I I I get a I get a letter in the mail and it's telling me that, that, that there's a warrant for my arrest. And I'm like, warrant? Like, and it, and then I saw, open it up and it's a, it's a, it's a deal that said, I got a, I I got a ticket of like a bunch of tickets down in like South Texas. And it was, and so I called my parents and I said, Hey, I just got this deal saying I got a warrant for my arrest. I'm here in college, like going to class, like, you know, doing like what you're supposed to do and I'm getting a warrant. And so then, so we do some, we talk and we figure some stuff out and it turns out that my brother who we look a lot alike, he's, he's like kind of a big guy. You know, he, he, he like left home when he was, uh, uh, when he was a senior. So he didn't graduate from college. Um, he, he, he literally like, like could have gone to colleges because he was a really good athlete, but he would purposely like fail one class, at least fail a class because no pass, no play. So then no one could make him play. 
because you have to pass every class. So you strategically fail this subject and then the next six weeks fail this one and the next six weeks fail this one. So he fail one and then make an A and then fail one and make a B, fail one and make an A. Like, so he had a plan and you could see, start to see the pattern. So I'm like, so this guy, he, he leaves, he's running around just getting involved in everything. And this was the start of this, you know, long career of crime, I guess. So he's getting in trouble. I'm trying to to like go to school, and at every turn I look up this this. It started first with that first little letter, and then as he elevated his crime spree, the way he got me involved was he would get pulled over, and he he had warrants in his name, so he would just say he was me sometimes. He would say, I mean, he was a lot, he had a lot of different names. So he would just, well, I guess whatever name popped into his head or whatever plan he had, he would give a different name each time. So he used my name in different ways. He'd say the first and my first name was his first name. And then my middle name was his last name. And then he would use my whole name. And then sometimes, so he would just kind of piece it together along with other people. Turns out on the rap sheet, his, his, he was not only was he a, I mean, I don't even know how the how the how the law enforcement screwed this up because he was in one time he was supposed to be like a five foot eight white guy, and he's like a six foot four or five black dude, like dark skinned black dude, and I'm like, and he's just everyone, and so there's all these things tied together. So, so then when I was a senior in in college. That's when I had the next exposure. So um, I go to get my light, my driver's license renewed, and when I go into the DPS office, the they said there's a there's a code red or something or some kind of not a code but a but a, some kind of dot system that Texas had and they had my deal flag my my ID flag. So it's like okay, say so hey, could you come back here with us? So I get up and I start walking towards the back. I'm following this trooper, and then when I turn the corner, there's two more troopers behind me. I'm like, what the? So now I had practice this day. This is during middle football season, my senior year. And I go down there. And so it's in like October. I go down and I'm there. I miss practice. I'm there for like six, seven hours. They're trying to clear it up. Apparently, they thought I basically escaped from prison at the time because he was in jail. Okay, so they, they had this name that popped up, went into the driver's license place to go get his license renewed and he's out of jail so i i, I just happened to have a photo of, of him in my in my wallet and i said I, I, okay this has happened to me before now there's this one trooper this lady feels and she she's the only one basically that believes me these other two guys they just want to throw me in, in jail and say hey we caught him so so i i'm, I'm explaining to them hey look this is what happened. Uh, this my brother. She didn't. She she was kind of believing me. So she says, "All right, well, let's look into it." It took all those hours for them to clear it up. But eventually, when the when the when the uh, facts when the print facts came back, it it I literally looked like the picture I was holding, and it said, and it said his name or it said had his face, had his deal, and he was still in, in jail and this is who they had and then I was like see I told you like this is my brother I'm all mixed up with him that was in 1994 I didn't get this 
I didn't get everything redacted and get us completely separated until 2016. Jeez. And I've been dealing with this for years. I tried to go to my daughter's school. They said I was a felon and that I couldn't even do the volunteer stuff at like one of my daughter at both of my daughter's schools. And then the superintendent who I just happened to have had worked with at AM one of the times I worked there says to me, Hey, this is what happened. Uh, or, or no, they, he, he, he sent me something saying, Hey, your name came across my desk saying that this guy had committed all these crimes and he couldn't go to, to that. He couldn't come to the school. And he's like, is this the same guy? I was like, I know this guy, this can't be him. And so he reached out to me and then I say, oh, I'm still dealing with this. Mm-hmm. So, he worked with me and we got it cleared up. It's just, just tracked me for so many years. And I was playing in a game during, on Thanksgiving and I had to get ESPN to send us like a certified copy to the, to like the, 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 I guess the law enforcement in Texas to, to show them that I was in fact playing in a football game on Thanksgiving against our rivals, Texas and not down in Port Isabel or whatever, getting pulled over and getting arrested. That's how crazy it was. Wow. Coach, I mean, I just, um, I think what drew me to that is because that followed you around for so long. I mean, that right there takes an extreme amount of uh, mental discipline, agility, just to have to keep dealing with that for so many years. I mean, that that alone, man, would be quite the experience. Yeah, I mean, you said like when I would leave the country, every time I would come back, yeah, I, I would get stopped by by border agents. They would take me to the back room and say, hey, man, you just have so many names. We're just trying to clear this up. And so I knew each time I would leave, I was going to be stuck at the border. So finally, the last time, it was 17. So the last time we, I was working with the Chargers, we, for the first time, I wasn't coaching in college anymore. So I actually had a summer. I got a summer vacation. So we went all the way up the coast, all the way up the West Coast. We went into Canada. Did Vancouver, like did I went back to Yellowstone, went through Utah, went ATV, stopped in Las Vegas. It was like a 22, 23 day trip. Had a great time, but on the way back into Canada, of course they let you leave, no problem. Yeah. On the way back into Canada, I guess now it's the opposite. Now you can't get out. But so we were on the way back in the into the US, and sure enough, it bit me again. Only this time we had taken some some precautions. So we I had to go to to a state capital in Austin. I got to go to Austin. We got all the stuff separated, and then they gave me a like a code and said you we all the names are happened. This all the stuff happened. But when they put when you when you get stopped, give them this code, and then and then they'll they'll say okay they'll know exactly what it means, and then mm-hmm. you get come through so I was like great we finally but I was in 15 when we got when we did that so fast forward to 17 where you get pulled up to the to the border they stopped me we were going through the whole thing only I forgot about because it's happened so many times I just went back into click mode so I'm like I can't believe I'm stuck here again and then my wife said remember you we got a code now we can yeah. operate the code 
she remembered the code. I was like, uh, so I'm standing in front of these agents. I've got a code. Uh, I just, and then she has to say, like, honey, I can't believe you can't remember the code. It's this. And I was like, oh, yeah, that. And they say, like, okay, you can go through. That's and so hilarious. finally, I felt like. <sighs> That's hilarious, Coach. I mean, I appreciate it. I didn't mean, mean take such a long tangent on it, but. Uh, I apologize. No, man, that part of your story, though, is just is just so impressive. I mean, you know, taking a step back then, if we can, one of the things that intrigued me was, I mean, the very – you as a kid, when you started playing football, like you never came off the field. And I mean never came off the field. I mean, you were offense, defense, special teams, and you played trombone at halftime. I mean, you literally never came off the field. And then when you progressed then to high school – you know, you talked about, and this is what I want you to elaborate upon, but just sort of that booster club football mentality. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I want to get into your condition and how, like, you never got tired. But, I mean, you were you were a running back. And, you know, walk us through kind of that experience in booster club football and what, what coaches then, how they tried to stifle you and then how you were able to overcome it. So it's just so a booster club ball is when you when so there are obviously parents and and families you know in a community that basically have 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 like all the resources and then there are other parents who are just their kids go to school so there's the haves and the have nots it's everywhere so but. And at the time when I was in school, a lot of the parents who were the halves were playing on the kids or playing on the team with those kids of us who didn't who didn't have as much. And so so I guess a lot of the have nots were the better players. And I just happened to be one of the better players who was the who didn't have as much. And so and so, you know, they would it, it was it was one of those things where you would have a coach kind of use you to go from one end of the football field to the other and just hand me the ball like every time, every time, every time, every time. And then once we got down in the red zone, obviously the like the the cherry of the thing is to score the touchdown and then be the ones I scored the touchdowns. So I would literally be in games as a running back and have like two, three hundred yards of rushing and then no touchdowns. Cause every time we get in the red zone, they would then start giving the balls to the kids whose parents had influence and then we wouldn't get in and then back then hardly anybody could kick so we'd miss the field goal so we were literally losing football games we got kids every year going to like a division one colleges and we're losing football games to teams that have no business beating us because we're playing the booster club football and so and so obviously the real cherry is being able to get out of the town and go to college so not only were we getting had someone playing booster club football with us and then kind of using you but then trying to prop their own kids up then you had a deal of I was wondering how is it that I'm that I can you know play all these sports you know I got I got like I'm, I'm literally every team we're playing against I'm, I'm I'm running up and down the field so I realized that in order to score touchdowns a lot of times it's like I'm running from 50 yards out like mm-hmm. one of these times I'm gonna have to break one of these if I'm gonna score so most of my points ended up though most of the time I scored ended up being like long runs and I just learned to find a way to 
not get tackled one of those times when they handed me the ball. And if I run over who you got to run over, step over who you have to step over, push down who you got to push down to get in the end zone so you can be noticed. And then have someone go, man, who is this guy scoring all these touchdowns, running all these yards? Right. And it still wasn't helping me, and I didn't understand why. And so I would get like, so once, so when I became a you know junior, and then I was moving into my senior, I'm like, I'm watching like some of the booster club kids like get letters, not from big schools, but they're getting letters from schools. And I'm like, how are these guys getting letters? And I got like one, two letters from like just these kind of eh, okay places. Right. And then so 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 fine. So when the I guess when the when the rubber starts to meet the road, so we played this one team who was who was kind of our kind of not quite the rival, but they but but we did a lot of stuff against them. And I guess I had a really good game. And there were scouts at the game looking at the other players. Right. It was like, who is this guy? And I, I think I had like four touchdowns. I had like almost 300 yards of rushing. And then I was playing on defense and I was tackling everything that moved. And so they were like, who is this? And I, you don't know this guy? This guy's been here doing that for years. Like we had him all the way through you know, junior high, high, all through high school. And so it turned out that I was getting sent letters, but they weren't getting to me. So, so I had this coach who, 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 he's the one that put me on to the, the booster club football term, I guess, because I didn't know what was happening. I just knew I didn't know anything. Yep. So, had this little coach, his name was Coach Barry. So, my senior year, this, this little man, I literally owe, owe him everything, but he had a change moment. He, that was a change of moment. He, he literally changed, he, he probably changed my outcome of what happened to me from that moment on. This little short, little white guy with a finger missing because he got, had a lawnmower accident. So he was like, he's our football coach. He was a track coach. Um, and he was a coach that wanted to win, right? Not part of the- He was a coach that wanted to win. Yep. Could care less about who is, if you're not the best, then yep. you're not a starter. And, and he just, he had a son who played on the team and he didn't start his own son because he was like, well, He's not good enough. He's yep. the backup. So great, you know, just 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 like a really good guy. And he basically exposed the whole thing to me. He told me that all that all he met you. He met you in a parking lot, right? He so he so he calls me up. He says, "Hey, we need to talk because if I don't get this out, like I'm worried about what." And I'm like, I'm thinking, like, what is he going to talk to me about? You know. So he calls me, he says, hey, you know, I need to, and he, so then there was no cell phones or anything. So he's like, calls my home, tells me, hey, you got to meet me in a parking lot. Okay. So we met at a, at a parking lot, not anywhere close to where anyone would know. And he, and he literally shows up with a bag. I'm talking like a, like a, one of those army type bags with the two handles and it looks like a tube. And he has, and this thing is like full of, Recruiting letters from all different schools everywhere. I'm like, what is this? And he's like, these are all the letters. I found these. These are all the letters that has literally been held back from you. From all the schools that's trying to recruit you. All the letters are already opened. Like, the letters are all open. So I got a whole bunch of op- open letters. You know, back then, I, I don't think 
stashing those letters. You don't know. Yeah, you know it. Yeah, so they open all these letters, and, it, and they're from schools all across the country. I won't even say any names of schools, but they're from everywhere. So it turns out I was getting recruited, but the head coach at the time went to, like, his alma mater was this one school, and that's the only place I was getting letters from. The only big school I was getting letters from was from his place. Mm-hmm. All the rest of the letters, I didn't get anything. So, so now we go back to that story that game I was playing at that one place where the guy was like, who is that? When they told him who I was, he was like, oh, well, we sent him a letter. We just didn't get any response. You think they had held all my letters and had gone through all my letters and literally was the, they were trying to put prop their own kids up and wasn't telling me or just letting the natural course of what should happen, happen, which is, uh, you know, committing something illegal by going through all my mail and opening it all up and holding it back from me. It's my mail. And then, then they didn't send stuff. They, they would send all, they used to send the letters to your school. They send them to your school then. So they sent them to the school and I never received them. Mm. And then they started sending letters to my house. And then I was getting letters like every day I was getting like four or five letters just from all these different places, some multiple from the same place. And they start flooding in. And then the recruiting process for me started kind of late because I just didn't, didn't get them. Hey, they're good looking. If you're digging this podcast and check out our book, Puke and Rally, it's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. Just go to pukeandrallybook.com. Now back to the show. Yeah. Coach, the, and, I, and I appreciate that, and I think we're going to bring this whole full circle here in a second. But you also would rush the ball so much and not quite make sense because you would go, as you said, consecutive series, 10 consecutive plays, rushing the ball, and then not touch the ball for a couple of series. And, you know, and the purpose of, you know, trying to even get you injured. But you never got tired, and you literally talked about that. And I was wondering if you could explain that more in depth, how it was and your condition and the things that you did, how it was that you never got tired. So during the summer, I guess like kids today, they like sitting, they, they go work out and they lift weights and then they run for you know, a couple of hours and then, whoo, now I'm ready to play. But back where I was from, you did like laborious work. You had to have some money to take, last you through school because you were doing sports so you couldn't really have a job. And so during the summers, I would bail hay and haul watermelon. So so, so a typical day when you would haul watermelon, they were talking about dead of summer in Texas. Okay, so the sun comes up pretty early and goes down pretty late. So it's like the summer solstice is like those days as long as they can be. So we would we would literally go to a like this little uh, kind of a Circle K type store, and we wait for this little old guy to pick us up. This guy would pick us up in his truck and he would, and, and this started the, uh, one of my, it's funny, one of my booster club uh, parents, his, his, his son, he was not like that. So he was the one that would hang out with us and kind of let us know what was going on. So he, he got us this gig hauling watermelon. So we would drive out to this field and it was, it was like completely dark still. So it's like five something in the morning and the sun hadn't come up yet. And we would go out in this field 
It's already we hot though, isn't it? It's already hot. It's like 75 degrees. Yeah. It's like, but it's humid. There's mosquitoes. It's, you know, mm-hmm. sticky. And we would get up in the morning while it's still dark. And it's and when the sun started to come up, that was your light, your like your your bell whistle. Start working. And we would literally start working. We start we just feel as far as the eye could see, it's watermelon everywhere, but it was all still cut or all still hooked to the mine to the to so we would spend part of a day cutting and then we would go back through that and pick them all up and there'd be like a truck like a like an 18 wheeler refrigerator uh, truck and then there would be like for one of their local stores and you'd have to fill that whole 18 wheeler up that day and then they'd pull away and then the next day and this happened like four or five days a week and so that truck would come pick us up drive us about 30 minutes we'd be in like a one of those old school campers bunch of yeah. people sitting in the back of the camper and they drive us out in the middle of a field and you didn't even bring you didn't have, you didn't even bring a lunch you would just i'm just gonna eat watermelon for lunch you just crack one over on your knee <laughs> and then just kind of dig your hand in there and just kind of eat out the watermelon and then just toss it over to the side and go back to work you could eat a meal whatever you wanted there's watermelon everywhere it's full of water it's full of like so you just had to be tough you you know and so, but, but, but you would make a lot more money hauling watermelon than you would getting a little, I don't know, two seventy five, three dollars $3 an hour, but that was like minimum wage back then. So you could make 15 bucks an hour hauling watermelon. So I'm like, sign me up. I don't care how hard the work is. We would work from sun up until you couldn't see the field anymore. To you, it was just dark. So if that was 13, 14, 15, I don't even know how many hours. I just know you were just hauling watermelon all day. The first week or so you did that, like literally on the weekend, you couldn't move. Everything was locked up. And then, but we would do it like four or five weeks. By the time you got to the fifth week, football practice, it in two days, that's cake. So you go out and you go practice and everybody's out there like it's all hot. My dad even asked me one time, he's like, how do you go out there? And, they, and my dad grew up picking cotton. Mm-hmm. And he's even, he's like, man, it is hot. It's like 110, 12 degrees. And we're out of practice. And he's like, how are you going to go out here and practice? I was like, the watermelon field. After you do that, all day long, a couple hours banging around, that's nothing. They let you have water. You know, you can like take a knee. Like, <laughs> I mean, so 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 when you're having to play in a football game and having to go both ways, like that was kind of the way that that I would literally use to, use to get in shape because I was I would still run and stuff like 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 on the weekends whenever we wouldn't have to haul watermelon I would work on my running but we didn't I wasn't really lifting a lot of weights but I didn't have to because after you had you know bailed hay and haul watermelon that was that was a big country name. Mm-hmm. They were like, man, you're like you're really strong, like a kind of like a like a like a cow or a bull or something. Like you're strong like that. So I wasn't like gunned up like there was muscles everywhere, but I could just like run through people, run through people, run through people. And it was just from that that buildup of that that dense training of throwing watermelon and bailing hay and just putting it over here. Put it over here and you're just doing it all day long, your back muscles and your leg muscles and everything. And so practice was kind of fun, actually. It was like, hey, we only have to be out here for a couple of hours, you know? Yeah. 
coach in, you know, and now nowadays, right? We got a, and I'm generalizing, of course, but I mean, we have, you know, specialized trainers and, and individuals going to go out there and, you know, always think there's two components to it. One is not only the hard work, but they got to take it to the next level, but two, the consistency. So if either of those are off, it really doesn't matter. Your talent's only going to get you so far. But even that, they're going to go train every day for a couple hours. But now when you get done, now you're chilling and now you're back on the AC and, and playing video games. Right. It definitely changes, I think, the like the mental toughness aspect of how the, I think even how it's viewed, the training and the game itself, because what I think kids today, or I call them kids because I'm like 50, but the, the kids today that play now, what they view as hard is kind of like a light practice to me. So when I was, I just remember when I was with the Dolphins and Jimmy Johnson was our head coach and we would have three hour practices. So it was to, it, training camp was really not called training camp. It was two days because you actually had two practices a day and you had two, three hour practices in full pass for six straight days. And it was like, everybody was live at this point except the quarterback but everybody was banging you're taking them to the ground like there was it was a different mindset and the way you got yourself prepared to like play the game and tackle a guy or do whatever was you tackled a bunch of people in practice and then you know how to tackle a bunch of people in the game so now when you know we'll have like a practice an hour and a half you know hour and 45 minute practice and it's like you know 85 degrees. God, it's so hot out here, man. The practice is so long. And some of us older guys who are like, I know like, you know, cause I'm buddies with guys like Dan Campbell, who's the head coach with the, you know, at, you know, with the lions and then Aaron Glenn, who, who's the DC, we played together and uh, their strength coach. He was the guy that got me into this profession. Mike Clark. I mean, Anthony Land, he was playing at Texas Tech at the time. I mean, mm-hmm. so all these guys would back me up on this. Like, like we practice for so long. The way they do practice now is their their hard day, even when they're padded up, is still half as hard as our early practice the day of a scrimmage. So we're in camp and we have two practices. We would go three hours, but one would be in full pads. And then, but it just, we wouldn't necessarily take each other to the ground on the first practice because the second practice is going to be a live scrimmage. That's going to last for three. It's going to be probably an hour and a half long after we go through all the individuals. Mm -hmm. They practice like that now and that's a hard practice. So I just tell them straight up. I was like, man, the way you guys practice we would have loved this this setup the way it is now. Like we could have played forever this way, like hour and a half, hour and forty five minutes. They we can only pad them up so many times, you know, uh, uh, during the season. So the number of times you can pad up during the season is not even as many practices or, or as many weeks as you have during the year. So it's like it's really not that hard. Like you can fly around, you can. 
like, and I started trying to tell him, like, if you really think about it, it's really not that hard. So just focus on the work mm-hmm. and what you got to do to get better instead of the conditions. Right. Coach, you've been around so many players. When you see a guy that shows up early and stays late, and I mean the proverbial, I mean, this is a guy guy who does that. What is it that you see from those type of players? So we always make a joke, and then and it's pretty simple. Could this guy have played when we played? Mm. And usually the guy that you just described usually is a guy with a mindset he would have been able to play whenever we played and so, and it has nothing to do with their talent it's like um, a physical and mental toughness that we see from a guy that and most of the time it's the guy that shows up first and leaves last and he does all these things in between because even the amount of time that we're giving him is in his mind is not enough Right. And we expanded the time. He would show up earlier and leave later. So he's never thinking about the time. It's, it's what he's trying to get done when he's working. And then so so that guy will say he could have played back when we played because there had. So and then some, there's sometimes the guys that they everybody thinks really good. And he's like, oh, he's a good player, but he wouldn't have been able to make it when we played. So when you how often do you see the best player that has that type of mentality as well, you know, sort of like Art Monk or Jerry Rice, just to throw them out. I mean, those that are the best players on the team and the hardest workers, what does that do to the entire culture? You know, it, it, for me, as a, as, as a strength and a conditioning coach, having to get guys to do work and then do it year round, it makes it actually a lot easier for me to get everybody on board because everybody loves the best player. That's, that's just how it works. He's, man, he's so good. Usually the best player is a superstar. When the best players who are superstars also have their head down and work, and everybody outside of that group, which is all the rest of the guys, if your best players are the ones that do everything right, when a guy who won't do everything right I just say, so let me get this straight. We have this guy who is one of the best players in the world thinks that he has to do this, but you who no one knows and who literally is on the bubble, you're always trying to find a way to get out of doing stuff. Every time I look at you, you're looking at me. Why are you looking at me? Look at you all the time. What are you gonna skip? Why do I always gotta get you to come in earlier or stay later? When this guy does it, there's a reason that he's great and you are not. I'll just tell him straight up. And it makes it real easy to, if the best guys are like this, to throw everybody in the middle of them. And then I put it on those best players who are usually, if they're doing that, I love it when they're when they're vocal, when they're willing to like go after the guys. Because teams that win championships are led by the players, not the coaches. We're just, at the end of the day, when the game starts to happen, we're just fans with a really good seat. But they're the ones running up on the crown of the field, making all the plays, going through all, getting all banged up, doing all the work. So I think the the more of those guys you can have up on the crown there with them, kind of getting that message out that this is how we do things, this is how it's going to be, or you can't be on the field with us. 
So when we go back to when we was at A and M and we didn't lose games at home because the best players on the field were also the same guys who were checking everybody on the field like, uh, hey, we can't have you missing that tackle. Like, you got to make that play. And you have to catch that ball. Like, there is no, oh, I'll get it next time. There is no next time. This is it. I love it, Coach. With all your years in the field, I mean, as it's uh, strength conditioning coaches, I mean, they have a unique role, right? Because you're not making play in time decisions. You get to interact with them throughout the year and connect with them on a different level. In terms of like mental skills, you know, whether it's that drive, that hunger, or if it's uh, the ability to focus under pressure, if it's the ability to really believe in yourself or even just let go of mistakes, what do you think you help most players out with in terms of the mental game? So obviously you they're gonna think better, I think, when you're when you're not like dead tired. Mm-hmm. But again, we go we 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 go back to the you whenever things get heated you fall back to your training you fall back to you well being at this level especially so obviously there are things that you pick up in college and you learn how to develop players more because you get guys from high school who might have not even had a strength program and so you got to really start from the basics and then you have some guys who went to high schools where literally they had coaches who were way better than i am and they you know have been coaching guys up here. And so they walk in and so they're all different levels. And so you're, you, you, you can make the most impact with a guy with his game, I think in college. But then once you get to this level, a lot of times this, that site is lost because you are always getting the best players. You're always getting like the top, the creme de la creme from all the, the cherry picking from all the colleges and putting them all on NFL teams. And so you think, oh, I got this great athlete. I don't have to develop anymore. I just got to work him out. So far from the truth. I ended up, I think, when I kind of settled in and finally started to understand, you still got to hold these guys accountable the way you did in college. So they don't mind if you coach them hard. They don't mind if you tell them like it is. If, if that's the culture you set where you are. So I tell these guys, you can still develop. We have the most time that we get with the guys is during the season. So maybe you can't make the games that you would make in off season during the season because you're banging around. But if you just each day, just stack a little bit, a little bit at the end of 16, 17, 18 weeks, a lot of times when guys are supposed to be their best, they're at their worst because they've been banging around so they haven't been able to train the same. So if we get in their mind, their mindset, where do we have to build Roman in a day? We just need you to keep creeping up just a little bit, just a little bit. And we, and we got guys building lean mass or body armor, we call it, for 16, 17, 18 weeks now. When they, when they get to the end of the season and you're supposed to be your best, you actually are. And imagine the gap you can leave between yourself, between a guy who even just, I'm going to maintain and make sure I can play and I'm, I don't get hurt. Or I'm just going to keep getting better, keep getting better, keep getting better. And that gap that you create, I think, is that thing that takes great players like a Tom Brady who keeps winning championships. Then he keeps getting better just a little bit every week, every every day. Every hour he's there, that, that thing you talk about where the guy that comes in first and leaves last, 
each day it doesn't maybe it's 10 minutes that he stays comes in earlier or later and leaves later than another guy but each day and by the end of the week look how many hours that becomes look how many weeks that becomes look how many you know so it starts to build on itself so we're just i'm constantly just trying to make sure that the guys understand that we don't have to do it all in a day but you have to get in the mindset of just a little bit more every day just a little bit better every day and when you keep creeping and that's in any profession that's in any if you're if you want to get ahead of your competition because everybody's just trying to get ahead if you're trying to get ahead of your competition it doesn't matter if it's football if you own a bank if you if you if i'm on fries i'm gonna flip these fries better than anybody because Maybe I just think it's fries, but maybe that'll move me if they see I'm doing a great job. Maybe they'll make me the night manager because they say, "Look how look how this guy has his head down. Look how he how he organizes and how he runs." And then and then so you you so you get an elevation, you get something out of it, and you just keep getting better, keep getting better. And before you know it, you look up and you're so far ahead, everybody. But you weren't worried about them. You were just trying to get yourself better. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where we where we try to push the guys is you're not gonna reach everybody. Some guys they have all the answers. You'll never reach those guys. But if what we're doing just gets enough guys that get to run up on the crown and are out there playing, that group of kind of those those stem cells, the new fresh, you know, will push all that cancer out, and you'll just have that group on the field and that's how you win all your home games that's how you that's how you you kind of tom brady your way through it just i'm going to find a way to win at one place win a bunch of games then literally go to another team win a super bowl that's impressive mm-hmm. coach this file was you mentioned so much because i believe as well media that you know the harder we work the tougher it is to surrender right when we just do one more whether that's just go through that speech one more time just practice it one more time just one more sprint one more lift you just do one more right that's adding up to all the things we're talking about and i want to kind of bring this together with with you coach growing up where you did you had uh your uh, you and your brother's history, how that all got intertwined. You had Mrs. Barlow. You had the fact of Booster Club football. You had, um, you know, uh, the, the watermelons and hay that you did in the summertime. You have all these, you know, opportunities or barriers or things that kind of go against you. How did it shape you then as an individual when you were into the professional field? Uh, you know, I had a I had someone tell me that you that you aren't a real coach until you got fired one time, and and then you're like, and then you'll actually become the coach you're supposed to become. And then, of course, when you never been fired, you say, oh, yeah, of course you'll say that because you've been fired, and so and then you it's like someone telling you, you know, you don't know what it's like to have a kid because you don't have a kid. And then you argue with them, hey, it's not that big a deal. And then you have a child and you realize you have to go back to them and say, okay, now see what you're talking about. And then it's, that's the same thing with being fired as a coach. All the stuff I went through with my brother, each time was, it was another lesson on how to be a resilient, how to like 
if some, if, you know, if if you got your bar low and she tells you you're not going to be able to do something, and then you got to prove her wrong. When 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 I'm at practice and in high school and I'm running all these plays and I got people that are like you said are are hoping that I get hurt so you give me the ball all these times and then when I realize what you're doing like why are you giving me the ball so many times I want to show you it is you can hand me the ball every play this game and I'm gonna be just fine I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get through this like I'm gonna put my head down and I'm gonna charge right through it and then and then ultimately, when I got fired the first time, the time I've been fired from AM, and you start to question, there that was probably the time when I was in my profession, probably the lowest I'd been. Even you know, even getting cut from NFL teams, you're going to get cut. Like you, if you, every now and then you get guys that they get to be the goat or something like that, and they get paid, and then they just quit. But most guys in the league. If they say they retire or something, sometimes they just quit before they get cut. But it's coming. But when you then when I started coaching and you have someone walk in and say, basically, you're not good enough, get out. That took me to a place where you start to question yourself a little bit and then you start to question, like, well, what did I do? You always wonder, like, is someone else gonna hire me now? Like, what's gonna happen? Like, is it is it is this it? Is it I'm just literally gonna get fired one time and I'm gonna have to change professions. And then, you know, you you when you go step back into yourself and then you you can you have to recruit and remember like all the things that you had done when you and all the people, most of the time it's not myself, it's the stuff that people said, the stuff people instill, I fell back on your training, which is how to bounce back when things aren't going to go the way you thought they were going to go. And then when I started to do that and think about all the things that had happened, some of the stuff that had happened when I was, when I was uh, fired at a couple of months, I didn't have a job and I had someone who called me like three or four times a week who I never expected to get this kind of support from. I'll just say as a Kevin Yox, great guy. He was calling me. I never expected to get, cultivate this relationship with this person, but he was literally like, you need to go on a vacation while you're let go. I know you think you're not going to get another job. You will. You got to do. He was telling me all the stuff to do. And it was, a, it was, he was like, he was literally like very inspirational and he was helping you become who you like help, help me bounce back. And then Anthony Lynn hired me with the Chargers. And then I realized, okay, I understand what they meant by when you you have to be humbled. When you get when you get fired, everybody has to go through a true humbling. Uh, you, you get humbled as a dad, you get humbled in certain areas, but sometimes people never get humbled in their profession. And that was very humbling to have to look inside yourself and say, what did I do wrong? What would I change? What, and, and, and kind of put it on yourself. And then once I did that, it, I was able to say that I will be done. Doesn't matter what I want. There's, there's an order to this and it's gonna happen when it's supposed to happen. I think everything happens for a reason. So when it all happened and it all settled, 
I came out a better person. I was better when I took this job. I was better with my, with all, you know, with all my assistants. Like, I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. Like, I just, everything is just, it just, it, it, it was, it was, it was just like I just said, I will be done. Mm-hmm. Coach, I really appreciate this interview, and I've just got one more question. What question should I be asking that I've just forgotten to ask or that I need to ask? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, you've been so thorough and we've talked a few times. Um, you know, it's, it's really about what, what, what this, no matter what profession it is, like what do what do we want out of life? Like, what do we want out of what we're doing? Like, what are you trying to gain? Like, where, which direction are you trying to go? Like, what do you want? Because a lot of times what we, what we think we want and then, but, but then our actions and what a direction, the things that we're doing is not, we're not even, not even mindful of, that we're not doing the things that we need to do to get the outcome that we're looking for. And so you almost have to ask yourself that question, like what, what am I doing each day to get the outcome that I'm looking for? And so that's, that was, that's something that I had to ask myself like each day, like what are, what are you doing each day to get the outcome that you want with your family, with your, you know, with my wife and my daughters, with, with my coaches, with the players, like everything, like what am I doing? What, what am I going to do today to get the outcome that I'm looking for? And then I, a lot of times that will like kind of get you back on the path if you think, well, is that what you're doing going to get you what you're looking for today? If the answer is no, then make a change. Simple is powerful, Coach, right? I mean, that's a mic drop moment. I'm pretty simple. I'm a pretty simple person. I'm from the country. I'm, that's just how I get down. Coach Larry Jackson, man, I'm so glad we finally got to do this. I know you're in the season and uh, appreciate it. Wish you all uh, the best this season and, and moving forward, Coach. I appreciate you. Thanks for uh, reaching out to me and having me uh, get on with you. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.